Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 41 of Podcana after week one of the Into the Inklands metagame. We've been testing a ton of decks. Um, it's pretty funny looking at the week zero metagame and all the problem cards everybody was talking about. It's not those cards are not good, but I feel like the metagame has changed significantly. You know, the story we were, we were pitched in week zero is absolutely not what was played out in week one. We had some big tournaments happen, some over 100 player tournaments, and there's some standout deck lists from that. I think that the metagame is largely dictated by uh, the metagame that showed up to that tournament right now, but very much in flux. A lot of experimentation being done. And I think that, you know, archetypically, the macro metagame of Lorcana has changed drastically, in my opinion. So like our pillars of aggro, mid-range, and control have kind of changed a bit. And I think that now more than ever, tempo is king. How's y'all's week been? What are your thoughts? Go ahead. Uh... I guess before both of you guys dive into your pixelborn testing, um, I'll say that my week in Lorcana has uh, has consisted of not too much testing. I probably haven't played as much as I would have liked to, but I did play a sealed event. I do think sealed is always fun at the start of a new set because you get to play around with a lot of cards that you probably still won't end up touching throughout that set because some of them mm. are pretty bad. Uh, and I'm going to say, unfortunately, from sealed there were like no real standout cards that weren't just good cards already right yeah. i think one that i already knew was good was uh i got kita i put kita down and kita alone won me the game because opponent just couldn't answer anything at all uh one question i do have i'm gonna question you guys and i guess i can ask the, the the viewers as well watching is we did have a ruling that someone was uh, kind of questioning so kita on the card pretty much reads when you play this card all characters get minus three attack until the start of your next turn so this should be, in my opinion, all characters on the board currently. So if you, if your opponent plays a card during their turn and it has, mm. it's a rush card, and it, uh, it, let's say it's the the rush stitch that has three one, right? Does get does that have the three attack or does that have the zero attack? There's also been real clarifications about the whole the same thing with like challenger, right? If something has zero attack but it has challenger plus three, does it get it? So uh, you'll always have a, a few different kind of rulings like that, especially at the start of a a new set. So. Like I said, my understanding was it's pretty much any characters on the board at so, that time. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, so it's a static, uh, it's a static effect. It's not a mm -hmm. like a trigger because yeah, I, I mean I, I always think about things in the context of like Magic the Gathering how the stack works. Um, but in that sense, it would come down, it would trigger, and it would affect everything on board. But mm -hmm. if it is just a static effect, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to affect the entire turn cycle at that. Uh, you just mentioned multiple things, <laughs> by the way. I was like, I th I thought that Lorcana, you know, I've always thought that Lorcana's rules are pretty simple and there weren't too many finicky interactions. But yeah. both the things you just mentioned, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it, it is just a trigger. So cards that come into play after that do still have attack. I, I, but, I would think so, yeah. But I'm not. The one thing I'm not quite sure about is like the the thing you mentioned. If something that basically mm -hmm. if something has minus three attack and then it's like mm -hmm. below zero, if it now maybe let's say I play Crab Merlin and I give it Challenger plus three, does it actually have three attack or does it have plus three from the my, like negative attack? I think I, so. I do think again we'll probably get clarified. The, the reason I'm saying the viewers will probably tell us is because I think mm -hmm. one of the devs did answer this. I just can't remember what the answer was, <laughs> but from my understanding of what I think they said was pretty much once a challenger effect comes into play and Kida is there as well, whatever, even though it would be zero attack on the card, like you can't have minus attack, it would take, 
it would take into consideration what that minus value would be if it could have minus attack. So say if it, if it's minus three attack and then challenger plus three, then it's just zero attack, right? So, okay. um, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, you guys, yeah. please, please let us know your thoughts. I would have thought it worked the other way. Um, just a funny story before we pass over to Moyen. Uh, you did Sealed on your Twitch channel and you were streaming it. Yep. <laughs> I was what watching. Think, Brendan? It was yeah. great. It was great. But I, I, so you, I, I recommended we do a little bit of gambling. You know, get mm. to gamble. Does oh, Raven yeah. or win? <laughs> and so in the chat, I did a bit of a psyop and I said, you know, I'll put in the house on Raven. And then I immediately bet everything on Kawa. So all the <laughs> odds went to Raven's side and then I won big, bro. I won yeah. big. <laughs> and then I think, and then the game after, you were the only person that put it on me against Kim and you won as well. Yeah, I'm, so, uh, I'm loaded in that chat. Yeah, Brandon has infinite channel points on my, on my Twitch channel, yeah. Moin, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I played a lot of Pixel Bond, as you probably could have guessed. Um, play, played a lot of different decks, got to GM again. I think I'm like 50 points in. Don't really have the motivation to grind all that much further because right now it's like, the more you play, the more you get rewarded uh, as once you get to, to Grandmaster, and you can never lose points. So I'm not the biggest fan of, of that system, but I, I will still play a lot more Pixel Bonds, so I will like accidentally climb, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why don't you expand on that, because I know it's something you mentioned in the group chat. Uh like, what would you do to change the Pixelborn Grandmaster system? Because from what I understand, this was this was instituted as a way to, like, give people more room to experiment with decks at high ELO or high rank. Um, but for you, you found, from what I understand, that it takes the sort of incentivization to actually perform and do well. Because it, it, it incentivizes playing a large amount of games and playing them as fast as possible, um, rather than having a higher win rate. So... Um, the way the system works right now is if you win three out of four games, you get 10 points, but you can never lose anything. You just need to win three out of four as often as possible. So that just incentivizes you to do a couple of things that you that are not very fun, which are, for example, um, let's say you win a game, then you lose game two. Maybe it's better to concede game three just so you start over again in your new four-game series, um, which is not, not fun at all. And then you're, like, that, that opponent gets a free win for no reason. Um, and then I also don't like that there's nothing to lose. I, I get the thought of uh, that it gives you room to ex to experiment, but like that room existed before. It just came at the sacrifice of rank, which I think is a fair thing. Like th that's what the ranking system is for. It's, uh, so now, now the 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 way it works right now, it gives us the room to experiment, but at the cost of never knowing who's actually good at the game. It just tells us who's like. Decent at the game and it's playing a lot. And who's That's playing the, the most? Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One um, other thing I want to mention with Pixelborn as well, if people aren't aware, uh, they instituted like some sort of like best of three uh, option for ranked. Uh, you're not so basically you queue up, you play a best of one. Uh, you either go first or second, and you can request to your opponent to play a best of three series. So there is a flaw with this because you can request and you can play game two, and then you can deny game three for no downside so currently you can absolutely scam your opponent because you, you go game one you're on the draw you're going second so you request hey let's play a, let's play a, let's play a set of three you go first going first is very powerful in lakana you win they're like okay well it's my turn that you know, your opponent's like okay at least i get to go mm -hmm. first in another game decline <laughs> decline and you just free roll the the first but right now so then, do, bo do both players get points then off of that? Because no, it just counts them individually. Win. Just counts the matches just individually. Counts each win individually. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. it's a total so, scam. <laughs> so you're always supposed to, if you lose, to, to ask for a rematch, but uh, to never accept it if you won, which is just... And then if if, the, if they accept the rematch, then to not not accept game three, and that's that's also a bit stupid. I even I even have already people like in my DMs telling me, oh, why didn't you accept game two? No, just just because you went first game one, you can't just decline game two. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, and you know they're gonna scam you too, because as soon as it gets to game three, ah, uh, nah, nah, not yeah. gonna play that. There's also one other thing that uh, on Pixelborn that I hope they fix, which is the way the turn timer works. Uh, there's no diminishing return or punishment for taking up the entire time. Uh, like I was roped by a person earlier, and it took an egregious amount of time. Like every single every single turn was at least it was over sixty seconds. I'm not sure what the ex exact timer is, and they were not punished for not taking game actions or taking the entire time. Like there was no diminishing return, which is usually how it works in other games. Uh, so roping is, I mean, it took like, it, so let's say like the turns were like, it was like four or five more turns and it took like 10, at least 10 minutes. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Whereas in, in Hearthstone, they have the thing, right? If your opponent is quote unquote roping you, uh, well, no, Hearthstone's thing is like, um, if they're like in, inactive, right? Mm -hmm. For like yeah. more than a certain it's amount of time, it just kicks them or they just lose. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just like if they, if they, if they miss a turn, not doing any game action, and then mm. completely rope out one turn, then the next turn will have a very short turn timer. Mm -hmm. But once you take any action on the, cons it, it on the consecutive resets. turn, it just resets completely. So yeah. people could do this, the very same thing in Austin. Yeah. And uh, I'm not 100% sure that actually, now I think about the picture that my opponent, my opponent wasn't taking game actions to the board, but maybe they were taking like mouse actions in their hand. Um, but yeah, joke was on. Uh, like I said, I was talking to them earlier. Like jokes on them because I was just writing the podcast. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just free rolled the time. Um, and yeah, to deserve what I what I did to deserve that punishment is I just I cast be prepared on turn seven and they lost. So <laughs> that that was enough. Um, one other order of business: these Stitch promo cards that are supposed to be awarded for winning the regional uh, things for Larkana in the upcoming OP circuit. Uh, they were not not for the regionals, by the way. These are just for like the set championships. So stores will be giving these out, mm. but nevertheless, yeah, it's still still a bad thing. Yeah, so they were on the printer sheet or something. So they were actually they accidentally they were put into booster boxes, and people have been opening them. I know there there was a lot of speculations like, is this fake? Is this not fake? But apparently, it's like confirmed to be real now. And yeah, that's that's not great. <laughs> that's not great. That I mean, that massively devalues these promos, and I hope that they change their strategy and how they plan to compensate those events uh due to the promo showing up in booster boxes i don't know if they will honestly i mean they should but if they're, they're like oh it was only a small error but like it it really really diminishes the value like for sure yeah so um yeah, yeah it is a small error and i'm you know if they don't do it we would survive but it, it's definitely a huge bummer and also logistically like getting a new promo card might be it might be logistically impossible just for how the printers work. So it is what it is, but yeah, that did happen and that's not fantastic. Um, one other thing I want to talk about here, there was the, 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 the tournament I talked about, the 100 player tournament. Um, so looking at deck lists, it looks like they actually played out the tournament. I looked up multiple tournaments after this, by the way, on Mushu Report. They mm -hmm. all split. <laughs> they all yeah. split. So this is the only one it seems that they actually played out. Uh, the big takeaway here, and by the way, anything we mentioned in the podcast is in the description below. So deck list, links, check there um but the breakout deck i think so far of this set is emerald amethyst tempo it's very much a tempo deck and it took first at this tournament and also was represented in the top eight outside of that 
but seems to be you know the 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 week zero talk was all about Jafar and this this whole new world combo. Um, for me, at least, this feels significantly more powerful, significantly more flexible, and significantly more resilient than that deck. And this seems to be the deck of set three for now. It's it's the current deck to beat him up, which doesn't mean the Jafadex bad. I think the Jafadex also has potential. But I also looked up the deck distribution for the entire tournament. It was 101 players, I think. And mm -hmm. there was only an entirety of five players playing the color combination of Emerald Amethyst. And two out of five players in a 100-player tournament made top eight, one of them winning, which is a crazy conversion rate for a deck to have. And it's the deck that I played the most so far, and I'm very impressed by it. And not only, not only am I impressed by it, but I think even the other decks are already taking uh, measures to have a better matchup into Emerald Amethyst because they, like the community is already respecting that deck, at least on Pixel 1. So in Ruby Amethyst, people are actually starting to play Pinocchio just so, so because they don't have basically a lot of decks that are not steel struggle to have answers against the two, three Ursula that can sing songs twice, mm -hmm. especially Ruby Amethyst. And that matchup could be fine for Ruby Amethyst if they just were able to deal with the Ursula, which is why they started taking Pinocchio so they can exert it and trade into mid immediately. And they even started to play... Um, the, talk, uh, the, the card we shit-talked a little bit in, on, on release. Uh, I don't actually know what it's called. It's a three-cost action, exerting a card, and then you give plus two, or like challenge oh, You mean two. the one we revealed? Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> because we, no, to, to be fair, yeah. we, we did say that it would require very specific we did. Uh, meta and scenarios where if you need this specific answer, it could actually see play. And some people are trying it out just so, you're, because you're, you're playing one piece and Ruby Amethyst anyways, mm. Um, because you want one-drops that don't die so you can snake them. Um, and also you want one-drops that don't die to your own teeth and ambitions. So one-threes are meta anyways, and with these one-threes in play, with the, with the three-cost action, you can actually immediately kill the, the two-three two, yeah. Ursula. So mm -hmm. some people are trying that. And also in, in Amethyst Steel Jafar decks, people are playing more and more Smash, which is, I think, also uh, the main reason for that is Ursula. Um, the two three Ursula is the one they want to be killing, but also the one three Ursula makes uh, some other answers like strength of a raging fire not really work so well. Yeah. So, Smash Pinocchio and the three cost action, which name I don't even know, mm -hmm. are all seeing more and more play as techs to play around Ursula, which I think makes sense. Yeah, the metagame is very much warped around both of those Ursulas. I mean, even the two cost one, like um, when it effectively two for ones you like. It's really, really bad. Like it's, it's really bad. And like they get, it only costs two, and it comes down as a one three. It's like, it's really not that terrible for them, even if they miss. It's like it still feels like the game plan is playable. And when they hit, it feels sometimes close to game losing because they snag your friends, they snag your beat prepared. You're like, oh man, come on. So yeah, having having songs into the Ursula decks right now feels a bit rough um just to talk about another deck that's representing the metagame and at least from our internal i say internal testing but we've been playing pixel point like everybody else for me honestly what's been working the best um i i didn't enjoy the the tempo deck and i enjoyed the play style uh i was playing a lot of mirrors and the mirror was painful um yeah I've been the mirror match I, I imagine the mirror match is not fun to play at all because the only way i think you realistically win those mirror matches is playing more cards like you were mentioning Moyen. even in even in the tempo version is having the pinocchios or having 
uh, stuff because th there's very little interactability besides um, what's the card kit, I Kit's guess. Yeah. Kicker. Yeah, yeah. which it, which is a, a, a killer card, by the way. It's really, yeah. really good. But yeah, I, I mean, as soon as you told me in the group chat that the mirror match is not fun, I hopped on Pixelborn and started playing and instantly wanted to quit because it was not fun at all. Yeah, yeah. Go going first, in my opinion, going first was very, very impactful in that mirror match. Honestly, we'll talk about it later, but in this metagame, I haven't found any, I haven't found a card more powerful uh, than just winning the die roll in this format. Like it is, it is boosted my win rate by, I think, 30%. I think actually 30%. Like it's, inc it's incredible, which is again why we talked about with the best of three. Like you can just absolutely scam people because your win rate goes up drastically if you go first. Um, I've been playing Ruby Amethyst and the Ruby, Am like Ruby Amethyst. <laughs> Ruby Amethyst has gone through this transitory period from set one to now set three, where it's become less and less of a control deck and more of a tempo deck. And now it very much is just like only a tempo deck. I, I, it doesn't even feel like a control deck anymore. It just has this board wipe in the form of be prepared. But the rest of the deck is just trying to compete for wards, stem off some early threats, and then do a couple unfair things, whether it is Jim Hawkinsing out a location or um, just... I mean, inherently what uh, what Amethyst can do, which is just have card draw and extend later into the game, even though they don't have these top end threats that are massively impactful to the board, which is crazy because the the current Ruby Amethyst list doesn't even sing be prepared. It doesn't eat, like at least the list I've seen, the list I've been playing, they don't play a single seven drop that can sing be prepared. They literally just hard cast it, um, which feels fine at this point. I was considering putting in top end Ursulas, but then I was looking at the list and I was like, what would I cut for this? Like I I. I don't feel like I can cut anything because if my if I lose to anything as Ruby Amethyst, it's just during the first five turns of the game, um, and I need to be hard playing to the board in the first five turns of the game because if I don't, and we'll talk about this more later too. I think with the current speed of both aggro decks and these like mm, kind of mid rage decks, if you don't seriously compete to the board or have spot removal in the form of steel before turn five, and you're on the draw, I think your opponent's at fifteen plus lore. And it's almost an insurmountable thing to come back to. So, yeah, the Ruby Amethyst deck right now is very is very low low curve. Also, I think locations make you uh, value the early game more than we did before. Yeah, mm -hmm. even more, and we, we valued it before, but even even more than before because um, when they're behind, they're almost unplayable. But they can actually be very potent cards if you're just a little bit ahead, because um, your opponent can't really afford. To, to trade into into your location and then you're already getting value out of it. Or even if they can, like, it's often so expensive for them if they're behind to then also kill your location that it takes them so many resources and exerts all their characters and mm -hmm. they're not questing and it protects your other characters if everything they're doing is just trading into your location. Then you're just gaining a lot out of that state. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, like... I think locations also lead into the the equity you get going first because dropping a location and like an entire sort of turn cycle before your opponent just seems it just seems insane. Like the uh, there is one card that kind of answers locations at least in Ruby Amethyst. Um, that is Maui. Like if your opponent does turn five Jim Hawkins um, and cheats out something like an RLS Legacy or the Queen's uh, the Queen's Castle, if you have a Maui. And you have, and you've been playing the board. I think it's manageable. But if you don't have the Maui, it's it, it literally feels like you lose on the spot. <laughs> like it feels like you lose on the spot. I think if Ruby Amethyst is probably one of the best decks at dealing with locations because they can play Maui, they can play um, Fox. the Rush Mim, yeah, Fox mm -hmm. Mim, and they can play Crab. And all of those are just mm. good cards on their own, anyways. 
Um, steal also has a way to tag for it, which is the, the action that can get rid of an item or a location that I've seen mm -hmm. pop up mm -hmm. from time to time. Yeah, it's like Release the Titans or something like that. I can't remember the name of the card, but it's three cost inkable, banish an item or a location. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting metagame. I think that most of the archetypes, though, uh, right now are condensed around this like tempo gameplay, which maybe it always was. Maybe it always yeah. was, um, but now more than ever, it feels like the decks are a bit more homogenous in terms of their curves and what they're trying to do in the first five turns of the game. Actually, what their macro game plans are as well. It really is just like win bird early, do unfair thing on turn five through six, and then kind of run away with the game. Like there is, there's the aggro decks are. At least from the ones I've seen, they're pretty weak. They're weak to these tempo decks. They're weak to the current editions of Ruby Amethyst because they played a board so aggressively in the early game. And then the control decks are what would what, what we consider to be a control deck. You think about like top end, top end things of Ruby Amethyst, like the Ursulas, like the Elsas, Aladdins. Like those are just way too slow, way too slow, and they're just they're virtually unimpactful by the time you would be you would need them anyway because. You're either winning or losing, I feel like, by that point in the game. You're like, you're winning on board, you have your locations down, and the game is, I don't know, I find the game is to be a lot less close if I am curving out into my five, six, seven uh, sort of clear board and I've stemmed off like any sort of early game um, ultra aggression and my opponent's not some critical maximum of lore. That's been my experience with this so far. Have you guys messed around with any of the Amber stuff with Pluto in particular? Because I do think that side of it is... Is pretty good. Like I, again, I've been kind of adjusting my uh, Mufasa list, and I have started to include some cards like uh, Bare Necessities, Teeth and Ambitions, because I mean, realistically, you have to have some type of removal tools or some disruption tools. You can't you, like you can't just have this all character deck. And if you actually calculate the odds of how many times Mufasa pulls one of these bad cards, it's actually pretty low. But between the Ruby uh, Amber version, and I've even seen some people try and re revisit the Amber emerald version like do you think that obviously i'm not too sure if you guys have played against it much but do you think that decks like this since they are so character based mm. can compete with these tempo decks or do you think that it ultimately just comes down to that these other tempo decks are running amethyst which means they they can do crazy stuff but they can also just draw cards right yeah there's um there's a couple of really really powerful cards in amber that came out in the set one being pluto the other being piglet both mm. of which die to pretty much everything Steel does, and also die to the four copies of Teeth and Ambitions, which every single Ruby deck is playing at the moment. Like, I I love those cards. I love Pluto. I was playing with Piglet in, in the beginning. Like, those cards are so powerful. But it feels like every deck in the metagame that's competing in that tier one slot is just stacking as much sort of two damage to three damage removal as possible. And if you're playing something as sort of context-based as a piglet, right, where you need these two other characters, your opponent mm -hmm. has so much agency to disrupt that. Um, and then they get to their turn five. So I think a, a lot of the reason for the play patterns that are currently, that are existing in this Lacana meta right now is because the big answers to uh, sort of threats on board exist at the the five ink slot. You think like grab your swords, um, you know, Maui, and just like sort of these big AOE removals and these big impactful cards, they all kind of come out on on turn five. Yeah, so for me, I think Amber, Amber's like doing some all white stuff, but it's a little bit incapable of doing unfair stuff, which is, I think, what's holding it back currently. Which brings me to the question, so what do you think like are the winners in terms of colors for mm -hmm. for set three and what are the losers of that set three? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think anybody would be crazy to not say uh steel. Like I know that steel is it's not even in like the 
what I think is like, uh, you know, it's competing in the tier one slot, but it's not like in this, what we just talked about, like Emerald mm-hmm. and Amethyst deck. It's not in the, the Ruby, the Ruby Amethyst deck, but I think that Steel has the tools to deal with a lot of these threats that other decks don't. Um, Steel got some great stuff in the form of like the Zeus, uh, deal four damage. Um, and, it's like, just me, like great two drop, solid, yeah. solid card. My, Robin Hood, thoughts yeah. are great. In my opinion, you, you, you do two things in Lorcana right now, or your deck is not tier one. You either play Steel or you play Modern Package. If you don't do that, I think you get steamrolled consistently. And do, yeah. I mean, I if anybody disagrees with that, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear. But it's because all the other inks and even like, I mean, all the other colors, even things like Ruby, they're impactful turns. Like they're sort of swing, swing the tempo on you kind of turns. They all exist at five ink, but you have to be on the board and you have to be disrupting your opponent before five. And the only things that do that reliably are both modern package because it's legitimately overpowered and steel. So I think your Amethyst uh, or Ursula, right Ursula disrupts it. So I, for me, I think Emerald is probably the biggest winner mm-hmm. um, because one, it's incredibly powerful now, but also I think it was one of the weaker cutters before. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. Um, Amethyst and Steel also also two winners two winners for me. They both got both, both got great additions. So I think Amber is like still has this weakness of not really doing too many unfair things, and then Sapphire. Right now, I would call it a loser, but the the thing is, it is. I I I still see a lot of room to explore Sapphire. It's just, but it needs to kind of reinvent itself because I think that currently, the play pattern of ramping on your three ink turn is not really fitting this meta. I think it's too slow if you are uh, falling behind on one, two, three, and then just returning on four. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe there is some room for a Sapphire deck that just plays one jump ahead on two and then already tries to get back onto the board on their three-ink turn where they have four-ink instead. Um, but right now, Sapphire Sapphire and Amber would be the, the losers for me. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Amber got some great cards. I just don't know like how well they're going to fit into the meta, right? Like, Because mm-hmm. you think about some of the Amber cards we got, right? We got Chernomhog, mm-hmm. which can do some crazy things in the right deck. Perdita, which is a super great, valuable card. But it kind of comes down to what you said, Brendan, right? It's like, it really depends on a lot of the early game cards mm-hmm. and all of these colors, right? And yes, Pluto's powerful, and yes, Piglet's powerful, but like, think about... It's kind of crazy. Think about if you had these cards, but they had three health instead of oh. two. Suddenly, they become so much better, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. I so. I think... Yeah, I think for like what, what Moyen said, it's like... um like you have to be engaging significantly onto the board and disrupting your opponent in turns one through four and yeah, one through five at that. And Amber got some fantastic cards. I think Chernobog's amazing, but ultimately like those cards, you can put them in your decks and they'll probably win you games. But I think that over a larger sample size of games, like things like Chernobog, way too slow right now, just like way too slow. And then your early game threats are just dying to this inherent tech that every deck has because every deck is trying to interact. Every deck's trying to, to, to just up disrupt one through five so they're all packing like max teeth and ambitions max removal um max modem package like everybody's competing for board one through five because i in my opinion right now the game is decided in those first four to five turns drastically for me amber is capable of doing one specific very strong overpowered curve it's just it doesn't do it often enough which is when you go first and then you draw pluto on one okay that that's already Good, mm-hmm. no matter what's the follow-up. But let's say you go first, you have Pluto on one. 
and then on you can use them on two, play um, one of the two, three bodyguards, and a stitch behind it. Mm-hmm. And assuming that the two, three bodyguards enough to protect your Pluto, you can on turn three then cheat out um, the, the, the shift stitch. Because mm-hmm. shift stitch is, I think, one of the best win conditions Amber has at the moment. The only issue is that if it comes down later than this, that it's already susceptible to, to Zeus, and then a little bit later that also susceptible to, um, to Medusa. Yeah. yeah, it pretty much has to come down like on that specific turn because if it's even one turn later, then I think that is the turn four, right? That then opens up the um the Zeus card and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I started out this season by playing an aggro deck, an amber steel aggro deck, um, and some of my most of the stuff I, that I was doing just felt not consistent, not powerful enough. But there were some curves that were powerful um, and they're consistent, I guess, if I have the cards, which is actually turn one Cinderella. I have a bunch of turn, mm-hmm. I've turned one Lilo's in my deck. Like I have things in Quest for Two, but the best thing was turn one Cinderella, have something like a Let the Storm Rage on, or even um, the one that deals damage based off the number of strength of a raging fire in hand. And then turn two, I play a Piglet, so that Piglet's not doing much on turn two. And then I also sing and kill whatever they play to board, so I stop their early disruption. Um, and then I play a turn three resist bodyguard something. I could play Hercules, I could play Prince Eric, and then turn four I play something like a Tiana. Um, that was a curve that not a lot of not a lot of decks could beat. But <laughs> the problem was is like that's that's the best thing my deck can do. That's the best thing my deck can do. Uh, like there is no higher ceiling. I would do that. My opposing Ruby Amethyst opponent, even on the draw, even going second, would just keep a Teeth and Ambitions uh, plus a one drop, and then my Strength of the Wage and Fire couldn't kill the one three, and they would just Teeth and Ambitions um, my Piglet, and the whole entire game plan is just trash. Because <laughs> it's not fast enough, because now it's slow enough that they deploy Maui on five, they kill my bodyguard, can trade with my entire board, and we progress closer to seven when they can just be prepared me. So it's like, I just needed them to not have <laughs> specifically Teeth and Ambitions for that deck to seem- seemingly function. And Steel was like, same thing, like there was like Fire the Cannons running around, I'm just like, <laughs> against that, against steel if they do if they do Cinderella <laughs> and then suddenly Cinderella sings let the storm rage on or strength of raging fire and you just fall behind. I mean that whenever you see Cinderella on turn one, it was even the same last set when they were yeah. playing numbers. You're like, this is like the best start they can ever have. I mean turn one Cinderella I still think was better than turn one queen a lot of the time, honestly. Because they turn one queen and yeah, you can do your shifting, but you establish more bodies, so it gives you more options to either do the strength of raging fire or to do the let the storm rage on. For sure, but yeah, that's exactly how I. That's exactly how I felt, Brandon, at like the last major tournament for me was when I was playing against all these Ruby Amethyst players. My hope really was I was like, well, the one card I lose to is Teeth and Ambitions. It literally is, yeah, Teeth and Ambitions. So the again, the only benefit I think I had going into those matches was most of them thought I was on the mirror match, so they didn't value the Teeth and Ambitions as much, and that's what probably gave me the edge. But if they knew I was on the aggro deck, I felt I felt like I would have done way worse, honestly, which is kind of crazy that that little inkling of information made the difference. Yeah. Which yeah. is still so funny to me that because Teeth and Ambitions, just looking at it fundamentally, is like such a bad card, but it is... It's like the only removal tool in Ruby, right? Yeah, it's, it's the, the only, only early yeah. removal tool they can play, and mm. it's still so much better for them to have their bad removal tool than not having any removal tool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are y'all's thoughts on the like the decks that are running right right now? And do, like, do you agree with me that they seem kind of very archetypically like very similar? Like they're all trying to kind of do the same thing. Like they're all trying to kind of get the board in one through one through five, and then if you once you leverage that advantage on those first five turns, the game is kind of just in your favor. Um, 
I agree that they all play for tempo. Uh, so and they they all feel a little bit mid rangey. Mm-hmm. So in in that terms, I think I agree. But the, I guess the way they leverage that tempo is very different for each deck. Um, so why, let's say Ruby Amethyst tries to win off putting down locations, card draw, um, Merlin Gold, maybe Spook. I think Book's underrated in current meta. And then mm-hmm. keeping with be prepared. Then there's the Steel deck that can win off Inherit Cards by Advantage of Blue Fairy, or they can just go for the, the Jafar win condition. There's um, just the Emerald Amethyst, that deck that's almost incapable of clearing, but can bounce your stuff uh, back to hand enough so that they get ahead enough in tempo and win off that just that tempo without any late-game win condition. Um, there's the Beast OTK deck that can try to win off that. But yes, still for all of these decks, you need to be fighting for tempo. But I think that was already, at least in set two, that, that mm-hmm. was already the case. Maybe set one was a... That way, yeah. Yeah, maybe, oh, I think only set one was a set that was slow enough that you were fine sacrificing tempo from time to time to play the slow game for card advantage. But, but I think since then, it's just... Um, Tempo has become more and more important, but I think that's like a very normal thing as more cards, as like the card pool increases and the card quality increases, mm. that no deck can just say, okay, uh, I'm actually not going to play for tempo first five turns and then just play be prepared on seven. Or- yeah. What about Sapphire Steel in set two? I felt like that wasn't necessarily a tempo deck. Like it would sacrifice early tempo in order to get massive card advantage through something like a whole new world and then also be on mm. a higher ink total. Um. I mean, I think I think that deck, that deck might even still exist. Uh, it's just still inherently weak to aggro, and some of these mid rangey decks are still capable of playing like an aggro deck. For example, mm-hmm. the Amethyst Emerald deck can just play for the Merfolks and Flynn Rider if they see they just need to be questing this game as fast as possible instead of just playing for tempo. Um, so I think so it's because some of these mid range decks got better at playing aggressively. Maybe it got a bit, little bit worse for that, but I think that that deck could still exist. Yeah, it, it's interesting too because like usually the the dynamics are like the mid range decks are usually pretty they should be theoretically like weak to control decks um, and then powerful against the aggro decks and I think they're actually powerful against both in Narcana right now like I think the mid range oh, decks are strong against both the what they don't really exist as much but the control decks and the aggro decks so it's hard to find a compelling re- reason to be archetypically control or archetypically aggro at this point at least the way I'm. I'm I'm used to knowing how these archetypes work against each other. I think mid ranges, like there's the decent. I guess I can, off the top of my head, I can think of a decent amount of mid range decks that were good against control decks, just because they can, um, they can time their their threats in a way where it's like very awkward for control decks to deal with them, and then they can actually beat those. I think isn't the normal uh, dynamic that control beats aggro? No, I think that. I could be wrong too. I mean, <laughs> but think about the like we can draw a dynamic to Lorcana set one. So like mm-hmm. the mid range amber amber steel deck before it played a whole new world. Um, like it was like a purely mid range deck was trying to draw threats on curve um, mm-hmm. and wasn't playing a whole new world, so wasn't trying to do anything inherently unfair. I think almost had like a ten percent or less win rate into actual ruby amethyst. But then ruby Am- and then ruby amethyst had you know, a bad win rate into something like a Emerald Sapphire or just like literally any aggro deck that's also running Cusco. So I feel like those yeah. are kind of the pillars of the control mid-range aggro, uh, aggro yep. metagame. I guess I feel like maybe these uh, these archetypes are a little bit too narrow. Yeah, as in, for sure. uh, there's decks that want to play a slow game plan that are 
very good against aggro. There's decks that are just very bad against aggro and just need to survive, and then they always win. It's like there's it's very there's different very different types of control mid range and aggro decks. Yeah, I do think that mid range in Lorcana is at least in the in the current iteration of the game with the card pool is very very good against like what you would consider like i don't like there's no reason to play aggro because i feel like the current mid-range decks have the aggressive package plus they have the slew of removal so it's like playing this like aggro deck is just it seems like it's all downside uh to me um, so I, I guess from playing the amethyst ammo deck a lot i i i, I did still see the application for aggro decks because that deck's Good at fighting for board, mm. but I think it's still possible to go under Amethyst Emerald. I, I faced some decks that were then going even more aggressive playing the, the uninkable characters that quest for a lot, like... Um, like Pinocchio and... Yeah, like, I think like I was watching... Pinocchio yeah, and I was watching one cost. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, if they just do that, then my, my tempo plays are even too slow to waste them, and... The deck, with the deck not playing any board wipes, it was still very possible for... I, I honestly felt on the back foot queuing mm -hmm. into aggro on, on that deck, into like this... It was still the same color, color combination, but with these hyper-aggressive mm -hmm. cards slotted into them. Yeah, that was an interesting game. I was watching that too. It felt... <laughs> it did felt like... Uh, yeah, we didn't have a multi-sample size of like games against that deck, but the game we were playing against uh, for that that single game, it did feel like we were definitely on the back foot. Moin, what has been your experience with like play draw so far in this set? Have you felt it be... Have you felt going first to be very, very powerful? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's... Uh, if, if you go first and you don't brick, it's kind of hard to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which I don't know. The thing is, in, in set two, I I was mostly playing Ruby Amethyst, and mm -hmm. that deck felt okay going second. Like the, I don't know. I feel like with the with the meta being so much more, even more than in set two, focused around tempo. Um, and I still don't feel like we have a lot of tools um, to offset that going first advantage or cards that are good going like that are better going second going first that I would want to put into my deck that to me the going first die roll um has gotten has gotten worse it's yeah. uh it's really interesting because I was watching an interview with uh Ryan Miller who I believe is the brand manager for Lorcana was a game designer in the game like I'm pretty sure he designed like uh Bell the Bell legendary that lets you ink multiple things and stuff and uh, the guy who was interviewing him was like, "What? what's your thoughts on, you know, the, the play draw aspect there? He's like, you know, players estimate it's about, you know, if you go first, you probably, compared to if you go second, it's like 60% higher that if you go first. And he was like, oh, I think our testing is kind of closer to, to 53%, is what? what he said. 53! Yeah, yeah. What? So um, yeah. it's 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 interesting, but I I the good thing is, of course, I do I do think that this is something that they have their eye on, and if they have to implement something to change it, they will. But I'm just concerned that they might do it too late, and they should do it much sooner than they actually realize. Yeah, I yep. mean, I've it's irritating, but it's not the end of the world, and I think that there's some merit in giving an inherent like randomness to a game uh, where a player that is not equally skilled has hope to win it's like very important to a card game's dynamic uh magic the gathering does it through the land system hearthstone does it through the randomization system through game mechanics things like discover um just like all the randomization in that game they did it outside of the resource system and Lorcana, maybe it is just the die roll uh at least it is right now because i 
it is it is due it is in part due to meta context is in part due to the decks that are currently popular and currently powerful but right now i legitimately feel like my win rate goes up by 20 to 30 percent at least if i go first like what moin said it feels hard to lose losing is a anomaly an anomaly like if i i mean i i was playing ruby amethyst today uh before the podcast and i Yesterday, I was complaining because I think I lost like 14 out of 15 darbles. I'm like, I'm contacting Favel. What the fuck is this? <laughs> and today, I won I won 11 out of 12. I hit over a 90% win rate. Like, it was not even close. So do we have high sample size stats from Pixelborn? Like, just in general, let's say games in GM going first, going second. Win we rates? might for, for yeah. a set two, I'm sure. Um, I don't think that they have them distributed based off ranks, but I do think they have the aggregate data. Um, mm -hmm. those would exist in the Pixelborn Discord. I haven't looked at them in a while. I just remember, <laughs> I do. So I remember looking at them a lot in set one. I, the data that was, because it's taking the entire sample size of all of Pixelborn, the aggregate data was, they had a lot of metagame data, win rate data that I believed was not representative of the metagame that I was experiencing at all mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah, um, I, I agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we I talked about the podcast. <laughs> if, if any, if any game designer wants to play me, and they think they can win 50. <laughs> 53. 53% of the time. 40, yeah, if they can 47. win 47 going, going, going <laughs> second, then I will publicly apologize. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. man. It feels important right now, which is, uh, I mean, that's why we talked about the Pixelborn best of three system. Like it does feel like you can, uh, it does feel like if you do that, that little angle shoot or whatever, you get a game two out of your opponent after being going second, it, like it feels like you're scamming I, them. <laughs> I guess I guess the fairest thing would be if you had to play exactly two games against each opponent. But I don't know who's agreeing to that. No, nah, I'd rather I'd rather just try to go first eleven times in a day and have over a ninety percent win rate. Um, that feels better. Anyway, let's go into this building session. We're going to be talking about more about decks, uh, cards, and deck lists and things like that in the main topic. But get to our building session, which is our listener question section. If you want to get your question read out on next week's podcast, you can shoot us a comment on YouTube. We read all of them, or pretty much all of them, so we'll get it queued up. Um, we appreciate it very much. Kawa, I'll pass it over to you because your reading comprehension is much better than mine, or re reading dictation, I think would be the better word for. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So first comment is from Inkable Cardboard. Let's play a game. Take a shot every time Brendan brings up flesh and blood. Just kidding. <laughs> play the starter tourney tonight and was having a blast with locations. Brings a whole new strategy to how you play. This is my first TCG and I love your videos to educate, educate me. That's great. That's great that first time players of this game can hop onto the podcast and listen to us ramble about very complex things, but still take away some uh, some good advice yeah. i actually want to just add on to this comment and say that yeah locations were really fun uh to, to play against like i said locations actually yeah that's the one thing within sealed locations were the thing that were the most interesting because mm -hmm. it still comes down to exactly what you guys were saying like even in, a, in even in a sealed matchup um you need to establish strong characters early to be able to deal with these locations if not they will just start questing for a really high amount mm -hmm. um one card i found was really cool actually was um it's only a really cool card when there's locations on the board. When there's no locations on the board, it's an absolute dog shit card. Uh, and that's Shenzi. Shenzi's the like four cost zero six that when there's no locations, she's literally a four cost zero six that quest for one. When there's locations, she's a three six. When she challenges, she draws a card. So cards like that make you want to play these types of locations, stuff like that. But um, ultimately, I thought the card was cool, but like it, it relied way too heavily on... Like your opponent will just focus on locations mm. so hard to make sure that card is pretty bad then but um 
Yeah. I, have, I have two things I want to say. First off, I I want to get y'all's opinion on locations. Do you think that locations, um, do you think they're inherently like win more? Because it does feel like locations are only impactful and that they're very impactful when you're already ahead on board. It feels like those that's like the best use case for them. Um, and they might be not the best play to make when you are behind in a game or especially behind on board. So do you think they're inherently win more in that sense? Um, um, I'll leave that question first. I'll leave the second thing. I'll, I'll see for later. Yeah. Yeah, I'll so, agree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they they probably are inherently win mods. They they they're better. The less board your opponent has, they're better. The more point you board, board you have, they are great play to play around the the board wipes and mm. grab your sword and be prepared. If you just know that's coming already because you saw it on the board, you plug plug down a location. Suddenly, they don't have anything to reset the board. Um, there's some some like some situations where they're actually good while somewhat behind. It's where you are trying to stall and putting down the location makes your opponent quest for so much less because they're instead using mm-hmm. a lot of those uh, characters to to challenge into your into your location and then it can actually stall into maybe your board wipe or maybe into your spellbook gold win condition mm-hmm. sometimes that can happen but i think most of the time there are a card that's like a card type that's much better when i had i 100% agree yeah there's, there's some very niche situations uh, where if you are behind it can nearly kind of protect if you even have only one or two characters on the board and kind of protect them because they'll they'll then start prioritizing the location mm-hmm. but i would say overall if you're playing it when you're ahead it's just so so much better than if you're playing it when behind because when you're playing it when you're behind you're basically just playing an unexerted or sorry an exerted character for your opponents yeah. to just swing into so the more boards uh, the more characters they have on board the easier it is for them to deal with it yeah and then uh, the second thing is I think that for Larkana Limited to be taken seriously, and I think that Limited is really important in the game. It's like a very accessible way to play a game. Um, it sells a lot more packs. You know, it's like a way to reason to open packs and not just buy singles. I do think that they need to work like completely redesign the way the game functions in term of, in terms of like the color identities and building decks that are sort of limited in a sense. Because right now you can just toss every card into your deck, which leads to decks being extremely homogenous. And the only thing that matters is having a high value carve or a better curve and actually curving out. And I think that limit, like some people might come from magic or they might come from something like flesh and blood that's limited by heroes. And they might think like, oh, it's unlimited. That's better. I have more options. I can put more cards in my deck. But those limitations are actually really important in creating identities for the decks and making the, the strategies diverse um, and fresh and different. And I think that right now, Lorcana, because it doesn't have that, it for me, it can't really be taken seriously as a limited format. And I want it to be. Uh, I really do, because I think that limited is key to a card game success. Um, but yeah, right now, this this idea where you can put all these all these cards regardless of color, I know it feels like we can make more decisions in deck building. It, what's funny is I, I believe it's a complete fallacy. You feel like you can make more decisions in deck building because you can choose from all the different cards you have, but you actually make infinitely less decisions because you only pick the higher value cards. You only pick the cards that go on curve. I have to agree. As someone who's played a lot of Lorcan Limited, I really, <laughs> really agree with that statement because I'm not looking at these cards saying, oh, this is this, like, I can play this because I don't care about the color. I'm saying, no, I'm playing this because it, it is inherently just a really well-studded card, really good on curve. Like, it's it's weird. I guess it's obviously different how different people build their decks during Limited, but I, like, start off by just, like, saying, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, because there's, there's so many cards I don't want. Um... Yeah, but Rather than that, the ones I want to keep, yeah, it's weird. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be even worse if you could only choose two colors and then like? Well, we're not saying so- two. We're not oh. saying two, it, right? It, it, it could depends, be. It right? could be. Yeah. It, de- it, it it honestly depends on how many cards you get. So it could be two colors, but you just increase 
like I don't know how I don't know the pack collation in Arcana, which is like how the packs are distributed if they're evenly based off colors or what. I just don't know at this point because it's not relevant because limited is currently not a competitive format. But mm-hmm. like it just depends on like if you if your card pool is big enough that you can actually make a meaningful decision on picking two colors and still build a, a relatively uh, like reasonable deck. Because if you're picking two colors because it's the only two colors that you have a service, serviceable number of cards to actually build a deck in, well that is making no decisions. But I do yeah. think for gameplay and even for deck building, like it is important to impose limitations so that decks decks game plans and strategies feel diverse and different when you're you and your opponent are just looking for the highest value card on curve in your sealed pool regardless of color i think it makes it extremely homogenous and not actually very unfun i feel like that's how limited formats are almost all the time that's <laughs> not, not 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 unfun i actually think that they're still fun but i think most of the time, limited format is just pick the highest value cards, uh, at least at least in the first picks, and then like kind of b- build around that, try to fit a cur- find a curve for your deck. But mm-hmm. I think inherently, you are just looking for high value cards in limited. So I think initially, but I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a game that does, at least a major TCG that does limited better than Magic the Gathering. And Magic the Gathering has its problems. Like it has bombs and stuff, and that stuff is actually designed intentionally, <laughs> again, to give that player hope. Um, but... In Magic the Gathering, you there you can often pick a card that is lower value than another card because you know that two that these like I pick the second highest value card because I know that instead of picking the black card, I know white blue is a better archetype. I know it's a better archetype in this draft format, and I want to angle myself towards that archetype because if I pick the the much more powerful black card, I might end up in black red, which is the worst color combination in my opinion. So you're making a meaningful decision there, even though you're limited. And it's strategy based. It's 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 True. based off of uh, you know like the cards. Also coming back to the question, I guess, I guess everyone's staying sober today. Bren hasn't hasn't mentioned. I did say one. Today. I did say, he did one. say one. one. He did say one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Almost, sober. <laughs> Almost yeah. sober. All right, all right. Next question is from Mark Miller. Question for the week: With Inklands out in the wild, how many decks do you typically try and play test? When do you make the decision that a deck is worth more focus or not worth pursuing further? Great question. Uh, Moyen, do you want to take this one? Um, it, it depends on what you're looking for into a deck. Um, might maybe you're just playing for fun, looking for a fun deck to play next set. Um, maybe just, maybe you're completely sweating trying to find the best deck, and then I guess if you're trying to find a, one of the best decks for the next set, then um, for me to explore a deck further, I need to feel that my deck is at least capable of doing um, something powerful somewhat consistently. Um, and then I can see maybe how do I build the deck? Do I build it? in a way that it can do other powerful things uh, and on the times it doesn't hit do my very powerful thing or do i try to focus on that powerful thing and how do i build around that how do i make it this more more likely to happen uh, how do i complement that so i guess that's how i would approach it yeah we Makes can just sense. we can just count the decks here we have decks in our in our notes yep. here one two uh three four Five. I'd those say are, four. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's five. Those are distinctive. <laughs> so, those are distinct. Those are different color combinations. That doesn't mention that if I have a color combination in my Pixelborn, I probably have five to ten versions of that deck list, which are just swapping out a card here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, um, uh, if you if you think about current current set, I think Ruby Amethyst has a lot of potential. Deserves more exploration. I think Emerald Amethyst definitely has that potential. I think Jafar, like, people started experimenting with that very early because it was very easy to see, okay, that the whole Jafar whole new world thing has the potential to be very powerful. Um, but I, I, I had, I tried 
like 20 different decks, like really different decks. And 16 of them are deleted because I already felt like there's actually, it's not worth exploring them more because they are not going to be tier one or even tier two. Yeah, that's fair. All right, next comment is from Behold the Storm. Does Airfoil work with the legendary Ursula? Like when you sing a song with her, then sing it a second time from the discard pile, does that count as playing two actions for Airfoil? Yes, it does. I would assume so, yes. yes. I would assume so as well. I think the what card does Airfoil do, now. by the way? Is it, is it, it you, you draw, draw a card? Two. It lets you draw two, I think, if you've, if you've satisfied no, draw, this. Draw a card? No, draw us one. Yeah, so I think it's oh, still bad. Yeah, it's still <laughs> Unfortunately. bad. Unfortunately, yeah. You would have to activate this like multiple times as well, which it, whenever you sing with your Ursula, it's probably not untapping. It's going to, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to die then as well as soon as you do sing with it. Um, next comment's from Fantasy Factory. He's just telling us a play line here. Turn one Pluto, turn two Doc, turn three Shift Pluto is going to be a big momentum swing. That's a big body to get through early game. First thing I want to point out is turn one Pluto, turn two Doc. Uh, your Pluto has to survive the first the first tap. So if your opponent plays anything on turn one mm. against your Pluto, then your, your Pluto's going to die. But uh, as someone who's actually been exploring probably Amber the most, I will say that being able to even shift the Pluto on turn four, turn five, I mean, obviously, if you can do it on turn four, it's extremely powerful because you don't care that, that your Pluto's exerted anymore, right? You're just playing this 3A bodyguard. So that's something I can see that could be super powerful within Amber, like... Like, I don't know, maybe you could fit this into the aggro deck, Brennan. Maybe it's just too slow. Maybe your Pluto's, like, big Pluto's can just be used as ink. Um, I'll, I'll play it but against it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a powerful playline, for sure. Uh, and yeah, like, ultimately, it's a huge body to get through, and your opponent can't deal with eight health until they reach that. Again, like we've been saying this whole podcast, that crucial turn five onwards, right? So turn five, it'd be uh, maybe a Maui to answer into the bodyguard. Maybe turn six, you play Mana Medusa to get rid of that big, that big threat, but... Yeah, I think I think we, we we all agree here that Pluto is a very very good card, and I think he will continue to be a very very good card um, as we progress through like multiple sets and stuff like that. Yeah, he just dies to everything right now, and he feels like if you're looking to shift the turn three shift the Pluto, it's a bit all in, right? I think that like it is really good for cheating out anything a turn before you mm -hmm. come out. But, uh, but, but I like... think that's fair because Pluto's the uninkable Pluto's always good, mm -hmm. and you can still have the big Pluto in your deck to occasionally be good, but most of the time use this thing. I yeah. agree. I, I guess agree. it's just a little. Uh, this playline is great, but most of the time Pluto is not surviving. Uh, if you, especially if you turn to Doc. Yeah. And so, I I I wouldn't expect this turn four Pluto to work all that often. Yeah. That being said, maybe turn five Pluto can still do things, and Pluto is still a good card. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I think I'm on the extreme end where like you know I'll look at things that happen in games and I'll say like <clears throat> I immediately lose and you know maybe I don't but for me if I think if my opponent activates Pluto twice and I don't do anything about it I like I've already lost that game like how am I in a yeah, state where very yeah. that, is, that is very true yeah if you can't kill that, that Pluto on turn one your opponent has a major advantage over you well, it's so, just the uh, second activation that's really the... That's like the... Yeah, the first one is, is all right. Wait, no, that, that's what I mean. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, if the if the first one activates you, you can't answer Pluto, and then it just keeps going. That's when it. That's when it's a problem. Yeah. Um, our, our last comment is from House of Tremere. Uh, I didn't notice it as much in the comments on this video, but on the first part of your set review, people give you guys such crap for your reviews on cards, but are these people even looking at the cards? I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up like two and a half boxes on release day. And as I'm sorting through the cards and listening to this episode on Saturday morning, 
I'm just floored by the amount of cards I'm seeing and just like, this is never going to see play a lot. Uh, and, go ahead. And <laughs> this set probably has an above average amount of playable cards. Yes. In, not in comparison hashtag, to, hashtag, to any card game set. Hashtag bulk. Hashtag not bulk. <laughs> yeah. No, but this, 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 this set is like crazy good. I think there's a lot of this? playable cards, but still that means most cards are not playable. And I, I think that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I think it is fair. I mean, the, the sets are going to be like that. I, I think this is the best set that we've seen so far, like you said, four playable cards. But, mm-hmm. I mean, is it, a, is it a great, like, I mean, I'm sure it is a great thing if, like, you know, 75% of the cards in the set are playable because there's more options and there's more flexibility and stuff like that. But that's just not, surely that's not realistic to happen yeah. a lot, and, you know? I mean, it's part of the reason why I think they need limited is because most of the cards are unplayable. Like, it is overwhelmingly correct to just buy singles in this game because the gameplay experience outside of it is meh. So in this card game, we currently don't have any rotation, right? Every card that's released will stay... So far. Yeah, Yeah. will stay playable. So with that system, let's say if almost every new card was playable, what would happen to the old cards? That that would in turn mean that those would stop being playable very quickly. So there's, there's... a line to, to, to be drawn there. I actually replied to this comment. Um, I mean, the first thing is I think when evaluating cards, you have to look at consistency, flexibility, and value. Um, and value is something we've talked about in a podcast in and of itself, how to evaluate whether a card is value or not. Um, but like in regards to our set reviews, yeah, we do get a lot of shit for it, but I, I can't express it enough, like how much easier it would be for us to just sell you the dream on all these cards. Like talk about oh, yeah. all these fictional scenarios in which you're going to get these cards all together on this perfect board state and then this this crazy thing's going to happen it's just not how card games work like at all it is all about consistency flexibility and value and if you don't meet those three pillars like the card is usually terrible <laughs> like uh, a lot of these cards yeah, they are just also, they are just not playable i think the worse you are at card games the easier it is to mistake a card ceiling for like how good the card actually is yeah, the floor. Um, sure. I think I I don't I don't want to say how I don't want to use the car, the term how worse you are at the card game. You are kind of correct, but like the the uh, less you understand mm-hmm. about the fundamentals of the card game, sure. then you will definitely evaluate some of these cards. But, but Brendan is so right. Like we could, it would be the easiest thing. Yeah. But every single card every single go, card. oh my god, combo this with this, 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 it's insane. <laughs> oh my god, if you bring out this on turn seven exactly with this card in play, it's actually broken. Yeah. Like, but we're just not going to do that because we want to okay. give you guys the valuable information, you know? Actually, bibbidi bobbidi boo, pretty bad card set two, unplayable. But hear me out. What if we go Ursula turn four, the, the singer Ursula, mm-hmm. and then it sticks onto turn five, and then we play Lucifer, double bibbidi bobbidi boo, the Lucifer. <laughs> Where's your hand? Where's your hand? Yeah, yeah. I bibbidi bobbidi booed like a, uh, I guess Kava's deck had bibbidi bobbidi boo in it. I mm. bibbidi bobbidi boot. Jesus Christ, that word. <laughs> that the seek. Uh, anyway, triple uh, B, a, yeah. a, a goat, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it was cute. Still wasn't better yeah, than having it's, it's, a lot of a lot of other cards in my deck that were inkable. You know? That's probably true. Yeah, it's like all bibbidi bobbidi did. Oh my god, yeah. all this card does is it just lets you get your cards basically on play effect. Twice, right so like yeah. with kit it's fine but like is that is that effect actually worth a three cost uninkable card in your deck that isn't always good with every character 
Like, it's it's good with those characters that have the on-play effects. If you combo with characters that don't have those effects and you just, oh, I get to replay it and I quest it and my card is re-readied. Well, fucking play Found the Flames. Or, yeah. Like, or play some, just play a, a body card like LeFou that can actually do that instead, right? So... Uninkable cards have to be flexible, unless they have an incredibly important niche use case. Like they have to be flexible. Like even, just, even Moyne and I were playing Mother Mother. What is it? Mother knows best. Yeah, yeah. Mother knows best, we were yeah. playing that card. That card. I mean, it's not like Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. You don't need that much context for it to be like literally playable. But mm. get into a situation where you have multiple in hand and you don't have a relevant target on board that's actually going to net you a lot of tempo. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that that card's so interesting because. Its ceiling is very high, high, but it's an uninkable and it can be a little like there's situations where it's a very bad card in your hand, plus being uninkable. Um, but at the same time, in Emerald Amethyst, you only have, the only songs you really play for for your three drop Ursula are Friends on the Other Side, which you always play for off, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then um, Mother Knows Best, which right now everyone's playing for off. Um, I'm at least entertaining the fact that maybe it's not a for off and maybe you play a few less copies. Mm -hmm. But still, that's something I'm not sure about. Yeah. 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 It's a really it's... good card that you want to combo with the Ursula, but it's like, is it worth actually playing for the risk that it's just worse in your hand when it's not going to be good in the situation, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and like um, sometimes late game, it can just be used to bounce your own gold back to hand. So it is somewhat flexible, but yes. Mm -hmm. I think, oh my God, I'm just thinking, imagine that card that we revealed was a song card instead. That yeah. card would be really good. That card would yeah. be so good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, being a song is way better than being an action, which is like the most obvious thing someone could say. But like, no, but it, right, right now it's the first set where it's not in, not straight up better because of the two drop Ursula. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> yeah, so smashes sure, 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 sure. That's that's an interesting context. Like, what I put, what you know, theoretically, strictly worse cards in my deck, strictly less flexible cards in my deck in mm -hmm. order to dodge a two drop Ursula. It's like yeah. Ursula would have to be so prevalent in the metagame. I think. I think it will be very prevalent. I think and it I think will. People are already like that's okay. Smash also always deals three, and Strength mm -hmm. of a Raging Fire can't always do that, yeah. which is also a reason why people are playing Smash over Strength of a Raging Fire in Steel Amethyst. But I think part of the reason is also that it's not a song. Yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. Well, let's have how, going into our main topic. Like I have all these lists, and like I said, they'll be in the description. We talked about most of them, to be honest. So I just yeah. want to talk about. I think we did. Yeah. I want to talk about like macro. Um, which we kind of talked about as well, but I just want to get, you know, hear from you guys in terms of like how you're enjoying this and how have you enjoyed like the discovery phase, how you're enjoying the decks, how you're enjoying the gameplay. Uh, one thing I had written down here, which I talked about already, but I just want to reiterate is that I do think that like Ruby Amethyst, like, and I'm doing quotation marks control is it, it does feel kind of dead right now. Like the Ruby Amethyst deck is a tempo deck. Um, like it's no longer control and it's just tempo withdraw and this top end board clear. And that's good enough. That's always, that's really what you need to compete in this metagame, but current set three ruby amethyst feels way different than the others for me and arguably that archetype has always been very tempo based like that's that's the whole thesis of the additions of evasives was a tempo game plan um and a dynamic game plan but right now yeah we talked about it the one through five commit the board um and then yeah ruby amethyst just has that inherent card draw and the board clear how y'all liking the how y'all liking the the gameplay the discovery phase etc of set three uh it's been fun uh i have played a few types of decks that I previously didn't play in set two, but coming back to what we said, it, it does ultimately seem like seem like things have changed with in terms of new cards coming into the meta and stuff, but the whole idea of the tempo stuff is 
here to stay, it seems right now. Like I, com, com, if you compare this to the start of set two, when we had the um, Ruby Sapphire list, right, pop up and it was like a really kind of cool, new, refreshing look on control. Um, I don't know if we can see a control list like that come up at the moment with all of these tempo decks yeah. running around because of the flexibility of how they can kind of switch on the gas and go go pretty fast and just keep putting on threats. The one thing I do want to point out, and it's one thing um, just in particular for the list, for the Ruby Amethyst list and then also for the Emerald Amethyst list, a card that I've, like for some reason, my mind was like, I don't think this card's like that good. It's a fine card, but I don't know why everyone's including in this card in their lists. Is actually the Merlin Crab. But Moyen talked about it earlier. Merlin Crab is a key, key, key card to deal with these locations because without cards like Maui, without these rush cards, it's gonna be very difficult to deal with them. So Merlin Crab previously was looked at as a card that could be you. You know, you could put it onto your one drops or any of your evasive cards to kill off mm -hmm. any evasive threats and stuff like that. Whereas now it just makes your cards basically kill locations easier and i think that's very relevant uh yeah. with with some of the biggest locations in the game those four drop locations having seven to eight health which a maui alone cannot deal with right yeah i think i think crab's just like this cards that's never really bad because at least it's a three cost three three that's able to sing three cost songs and then on top of that some sometimes it can facilitate trades or help kill off locations mm -hmm. and it's also played in either ruby amethyst that plays lots of one drop one threes or in emerald amethyst that's often playing the the one three Ursula on two, and that card is almost useless for trading un unless the the crab comes down on three, and even the threat of that's very very powerful. Hmm. Yeah, me personally, I've, I I I think f I speak for a lot of card gamers when I say this is the most fun uh, phase of a, of any card game is when when there's new content and there's new cards to explore, and I think this set. Um, had more playable cards introduced than than set two did, so I think that this phase of exploration will last longer than in set two, and I'm looking forward to that. There's still lots of things that I want to try out, and even the stuff that I tried out um, will still obviously evolve further. It can't be figured out figured out this this quickly. Um, so I guess the the new mechanic for the set is is, is uh, are the locations mm -hmm. and. I think they're they are the most fun puzzle to figure out at first, but I'm a little bit worried that I might, in the end, not like the the the, the mechanic of locations too much <laughs> because they might inherently be um, very good, very good when ahead and mm -hmm. quite bad when behind. Yep. That being said, I think just to give a shout out to probably the weakest color right now in Sapphire, I think maybe the best Sapphire card might be its location. It's it has nine nine willpower. Oh before. yeah. Like the manner, the manner mm. yeah. Because didn't the, the, wasn't it the set before where we had um, the Amber character, which was a 1-9, but yeah, cost Eudora. 5 questing for 2? Mm -hmm. yep. And that, that one attack didn't matter as much, but coming down on 4 and not and being um, resistant to some, some removal, I think, and being able to cheat out with Jimmy. I think MacDuck's mana is, is an incredible card. Yeah, definitely has potential, for sure. I mean, me personally, I, I do really want to try out some more resist things because I think the resist package, like just looking at the steel cards overall, steel has really, really good resist stuff. I know, Brendan, you tried it a lot already in like the aggro list, but the aggro list doesn't, I mean, the resist in it is important because it prevents your cards from dying. But once a card like 
Maui or whatever comes out, you don't really care about the Resist as much anymore, mm. right? So it's 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 hard to want to be able to try out something like Resist when all of these tempo-oriented decks just have powerfully statted cards anyways, which means that your Resist doesn't really matter as much. Um, but I think it's still a super fun mechanic. I got to play around a little bit with the rare John Silver card, the 3-3, a quest for one that for each location that you have, he gets Resist plus one and uh, plus one lore. So... That's kind of interesting, but I also do think that that type of card is, uh, as Brennan would say, a bit of magical Christmas land. Uh, <laughs> because if people are trying to base their whole... like, I'm, Is it weird to me to say that I don't think you should be running more than like eight locations in a deck, which the Ruby Amethyst one does because of Jim Hawkins? Like, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think there's a deck that needs to run more than that, unless you're ult trying to be like ultra synergistic with it. Would you guys kind of agree, or or what do you think? It's interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that you're like the heuristic is correct in in this metagame, but I, I also think that like locations themselves, like I don't know what the exact diminishing return return number is because it's so contextual on how you're competing for board before the location comes down because the location is just. Like it really doesn't matter how many locations you have in your deck. I think in the sense that if you don't have control of board in like the stage before you're going to drop the location, it will pretty much always be bad. And then the vice versa is true. It's like if you're always able to control board, um, you know, like any location you drop is is in a pretty good slot. So I think that like the reason there's eight in the Ruby M this deck is because the Jim Hawkins like scam. <laughs> like, we mm -hmm. talked about Jim Hawkins like before he hopped on the pod too. It's like I mean but, Warren says he values it like at eight in eight uh ink play basically with the location. Yeah but uh the Ruby Amethyst like still plays like on average like six locations, right? Yeah. Oh is it I thought you played four I think they played two mistake. RLS legacy. I've yeah, seen people so add a couple white, others but yeah. Yeah right now on average they they play two RLS legacy and four four cassettes. But I, I agree that you if it isn't for very specific things, in general, you don't want to be playing more than, let's say, even four locations. Mm -hmm. But That's at fair. the same time, I think most decks will be incentivized to play more than zero locations because even if their deck, if even if their deck's game plan isn't revolved around locations, um, there is these situations where dropping a location can put you from an position where you're a little bit ahead to a position where you're a little bit more ahead and when you when you the game of that and also to the, the ability to play around uh board wipes um is it's really nice for for most decks to have so i think most decks will play a few locations um but very little will play zero locations or or a lot of locations the only reason to play a lot of locations would be the pirate john silver deck mm, um playing which deck is a lot single-handedly enabled by John Silver, but usually, you, as you said, it would be like ma Magical Christmas and to just play locations and I think, think they survive. But in the pirate deck, it actually somewhat works because suddenly your pirates have rush and you can fight for board while deploying some mm -hmm. locations and then maybe try to win off John Silver. I don't think that deck's great, but um, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it actually is, is pretty decent. Also, as you talked about resist and it ne needing to come down early because later... It doesn't matter so much against Maui. Mm -hmm. um, I think the best Ember Steel aggressive opening is just you go Pluto on one, and then you play the Prince Bodyguard on two, which is where the res Resist is at its mm -hmm. best, where Protecting Pluto is at its best, and it, and it can quest for two. So I think I, I think Ember Steel is maybe a little bit below the tier one decks, but that is one of the lines that actually feels very, very powerful. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just want to, before we close out, I just want to talk. I'm going to, we can each give a card that is significantly overperformed for us. I'm not going to say number one overperformer because, uh, you know, I'm going to get it wrong and something's going to come to mind after. But just a card that's really overperformed for me is Madame Medusa. Like, Madame Medusa, I thought in a lot of, like, I thought Lady Tremaine was the fundamentally more powerful card. And it kind of is, you know, like in perpetuity, looking across like multiple sets, multiple metagames, like, yeah, maybe Tremaine is more flexible. But Madame Medusa hits freaking everything in this metagame that you want to hit. <laughs> It's really, really good. And right now, the Ruby Amethyst deck we play plays for Madame Medusa, no Lady Tremaine. Yeah, I think the card's super, super powerful. I do agree. I mean, I, I talked about it a little bit as well. The fact it feels like a little bit weird because once you get your Tremaine off, it's still uh, a two-quester, right? So you can still kind of pump on the pressure, whereas with the Madame Medusa, once it goes off, it's not as high pressure. But when when you can pick the perfect target, and like you said, there's a lot of great cards that have three attack in this meta right now. It just feels good. And then you just have a 4-4 four, four on, four, four on the board, which is fine, right? Um, yeah. I think ultimately it's the correct decision to play this card over... Maybe not always over Tremaine, but in this meta right now, I would think I'd play it over Tremaine, yeah. I, I think the big reason for that is that the Ruby Amethyst stack tries to win off locations. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't need the 6-drop that kills an important target to be questing for so much, because behind that you're having the locations and the 4-4 four, four body can be very well used to fight off opponent's locations and board that would otherwise be banishing your locations. So mm. I think it doesn't need... Because before um, Tremaine was this card that you just... They have one one or two cards on the board, you just plot it down mm. and you want it to be questing next turn. Right now it's com like it's gotten better for that body to be used for challenging than it was before, which I think is important for why Medusa has the edge over, over Tremaine right now. Yeah, I think particularly because of locations, maybe not because of the characters at the moment, because the three versus the four probably didn't matter too much in terms of if you're hitting something with three, there's a lot more things, I think, with three health and four health overall, at least last meta, whereas now that extra point of attack really matters because you're probably using this card to hit into locations more so than characters, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, four, four just tra yeah, trades nicely with a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, for Mark. me, it's for me, it's hard to to choose a card because I I've been enjoying Amethyst Emerald the most, but all of the new cards in there we rated very highly. We knew they were going to be strong. I guess the one card that is maybe still outperformed my expectations it's, is Kid Cloud Kicker, um, because that it has these tempo swings. Um, I don't know. I was for for some reason I was mostly thinking about the card as just bouncing a two drop, but it's not. It's bouncing a card with two cost or less, and there's a lot of three drops that have two or less. Yeah, um, to, strength to attack or less. Yeah, to yeah. There's there's the three drop Ursula. There's there's the evasive mini moss. There's so many targets, and the thing is, it the card still see, um, ends up in ink a lot if you if it's a game where you don't get a target on the perfect timing where it would be very strong. But when you do hit that timing, it it can put you very very far ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think you can sure. hit some pretty funny stuff too. That's actually very high curve, and it's just like hilarious with Kid Cloud Kicker. Ursula, Bob. yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's one of the reasons why Ursula might not not be great right now. I, I think it's. I played a uh, Kida, the minus three one one time, uh -huh. and I remember I hit. I forgot what target it was, but I hit something particularly hilarious with Madame Medusa after it had been reduced. And I was just <laughs> like, okay, not a good combo, but it was just funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's funny about Kick Cloud Kicker as well, because uh, I saw Brendan say something in the group chat that I originally thought as well. I think we both thought for a minute that Kick could also target friendly characters, and if it could, oh 
my god, this card would actually. It would just be. A I don't know. It, it, I think it would definitely contest <laughs> me as the best card in the set because. Was, it, yeah. 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 I, it, it would just be insane. Yeah, Bren was pixel bonds bugged. I can't. I can't uh, write my own just game. exposes me like that. <laughs> hey, I had lost like fourteen and then, rolls in a and row. And then Moyen just says, "Read the card, Brendan." <laughs> <laughs> I was like fifteen rolls deep, fourteen on the draw, and mm -hmm. I was like. Pavel has ticked my account with some sort of flag because <laughs> nothing worked. Nah. Yeah, uh, I just I, I honestly I'm terrible at reading cards. Terrible at reading cards. Uh, um for me, I think a card that has uh I don't want to say Pluto because uh, again, Pluto is a card that we all knew was gonna be quite good. Um because again, I'm on this little amber train, just because I've enjoyed playing the color quite a lot. Um I talked about it, I think, during our set review as well, but um I think Perdita uh, has a lot of potential. I think the card's really, really strong. Um, in comparison to the two cards you guys picked, probably not. But <laughs> uh, like another combo I thought was pretty good um, is you play you actually play the two cost uh, Stitch with Rush three one because you bring that back with Perdita and suddenly you have something that can hit into locations a little bit more and stuff like that. Try to into some cards on board, which I think bringing back a card that can instantly attack is like super, super valuable. So I've added that into my uh, deck a little bit, and it's been, been pretty powerful. Yeah, I hadn't sure. thought about it. I think that's probably the best target for Perdita to bring I think back. it and is, and for the best two cost, yeah, probably. And, it, and it's a decent card already, mm -hmm. so I, th I think that's a good shot. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll remind any developers or designers listening to this that if you <laughs> believe you can have 47% win rate or greater in Des Moines, uh, he will happily take you up on that. Uh, going second, of course. Anyway, if you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it, the number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps us so, so, so much, and we read every single review. Uh, there's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash podcast. Hit the subscribe while you're there. Twitter's are Morin underscore HS, Kabatech underscore CG, and Brendan APG. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.